This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. This is the BBC. Hello, I'm Jonathan Dimbleby. Thanks for taking the time to download this edition of Any Questions from BBC Radio 4. Welcome to Yorkshire, the fine city of Leeds, and an ancient parish church called Leeds Minster, which is built on the grand scale and is very beautiful, and it serves as a civic church for this city. On our panel, Stuart Jackson was a Conservative MP until he was ousted in last year's general election, which was something, of course, of a disaster for the Conservative Party. He rebounded, though, to become Chief of Staff to David Davis, who was then appointed as Brexit Secretary. When Mr Davis resigned, Mr Jackson also left to rebrand himself as a political commentator. Naz Shah went to secondary school in the UK, but at the age of 12 was sent back to Pakistan, where she was forced into a marriage with her cousin. She later returned here and went on to work for the NHS. In 2015, she defeated the Respect MP George Galloway, and she's now in Jeremy Corbyn's team as Shadow Women and Equalities Minister. Eric Pickles has been a Secretary of State and Chairman of the Conservative Party. He now sits in the Upper House, once a working-class lad. He said, I'm very proud to be super common. Now you've got the ermine and all that, are you still super common? Absolutely, but um, now I'm super common for a member of the nobility. Polly Toynbee has won a fistful of awards for journalism, among them the coveted George Orwell Prize. She's worked for the BBC as a social affairs editor, but for the last 20 years or so, she's been trenchant as a weekly columnist in the pages of The Guardian. Our panel. And our first question, please, Charlie Teal. Uh, Is there a future for the centre ground in British politics? This day, Tony Blair said, I don't think the British people will tolerate a situation where the choice at the next election is Boris Johnson versus Jeremy Corbyn. And he went on, I don't know what will happen and I don't know how it will happen. I just don't think people in the country will think that's an acceptable choice. Something will fill that vacuum. Room for a centre ground in British politics, Eric Pickles? Never rule anything out. We live in very uh, turbulent times. Uh, Who would have predicted Mr Trump? Who would have predicted uh, Brexit? Who would have predicted Jeremy Corbyn taking control of the Labour Party? I think the Labour Party is going to move to the left because I think it's a, a matter of time before those moderate MPs who believe in social democracy are going to be deselected and people who are true believers in what Mr Corbyn regards as socialism will take place. But of course, you know, I'm old enough to remember a similar time when this happened, uh, uh, when the Social Democrats started. And I think there is a big important uh, uh, difference is that there were people prepared to stay in the Labour Party to fight. I think that option will be removed for them by a steady process of deselection. You say that the Labour Party moved to the left. Do you also believe that the Conservative Party will continue to remove in a rightwards direction? But but the parties... Conservative Party has always been a coalition between those on the right and those more towards the centre of British politics, and it, it moves backwards and forwards. But I suppose one of the reasons why the Conservative Party has lasted 
longer than any other political party in the Western world is because it does tend to um, adapt to circumstances. And uh, I don't see the Conservative Party being characterised as hard right. And what we do know is it, it succeeds always when it tacks to the middle ground, as, Mitch, as Mrs Thatcher always did. Polly Toynbee, you were much involved, Eric Pickles referred to it, in the development of the SDP. Do you think now that Tony Blair is right? Uh, No, I don't. I think that um, what we know about centre parties is that they don't and can't work. I was an SDP candidate. I was on the SDP National Committee. Um, At the time when the SDP broke away... Mrs. Thatcher was the most unpopular Prime Minister there had ever been back in 1981, terrible austerity budget, uh, and Michael Foote was also phenomenally uh, unpopular. There was a huge great gap in the middle. Um, And every chance that we might succeed, four extremely distinguished leaders in David Owen, Shirley Williams, uh, and Roy Jenkins, and, and Bill Rogers, And if even they couldn't break through our monstrous electoral system, I don't think anyone can. I mean, look how well UKIP has done without getting a single MP. We have an electoral system that denies voters the right to vote for who they want. They've always got to vote for who's... (laughs) Is is Tony Blair right in saying that there is nonetheless a vacuum in the centre, whether it is going to be filled or not? Well, I don't think so, because for that reason, because people understand the electoral system very well and they know they've got to uh, vote out the one they fear most. Uh, and they, you know, it's either the, the Brexit and austerity of the, of the Tories or some people may, you know, have always feared the Labour Party. And that's what they're stuck with. I mean, I find it surprising that the Liberals haven't done better. You know, Vince Cable's a convincing enough leader. They've got absolutely nowhere. So I think that uh, it's not going to happen. I think anyone who tries it is doomed for suicide. I mean, there's the Women's Equality Party, very decent party. Not a hope in hell because our electoral system kills anybody who tries anything new of any kind. Stuart Jackson. Well, on a human level, I'm quite sympathetic, actually, to uh, the the plaintiff cry of Tony Blair, because this is a guy that was a three-times election winner, and he's reviled in his own party. And I can understand why he's so upset about it, because this is the party of someone like Clement Attlee, who was pragmatic, who was decent who was patriotic, who was ecumenical, who founded NATO, uh, who supported uh, uh, multilateral uh, disarmament and the nuclear deterrent. And Blair looks on a party which has become um, an extremist personality cult. And I think on that basis you have to have some sympathy with him. But there's a big but for many people across the political spectrum. Blair personifies the sort of global elitist entitlement, um, a very social, liberal, open borders approach, which people are turning away from and has given rise, I think, to populism in Sweden, in Italy, in Poland, in France, in Germany. So I think you could say, and I never thought I'd say this, that Blair is an analogue politician in a digital age. He's missed the boat. And so the idea that a party like the Liberal Democrats that effectively evolved into an EU glee club um, that got 7% at the last general election is the basis for a centre party is frankly for the birds. Nasha. 
I'll beg to differ. Actually, I, I feel that Labour has a lot to offer. Um, and I don't feel, whilst Tony Blair has his opinion, what I do feel is that is a, there is a genuine offer on the table from the Labour Party for the people of this country. It, it, it's, it may be clear in many people's minds that there is a genuine offer of a kind that Tony Blair deprecates. The question is, is there room for a centre ground for those who don't like the idea of Jeremy Corbyn as leader, your leader, or like the idea of a very possible leader in Boris Johnson? Well, well, if we look at what Eric has just said about the Labour leadership and in Blair's days and in terms of Corbyn, the Labour Party is a very broad church, and I don't see what you see, Eric. I don't see these deselections, and I don't see uh, what I do see, and, and maybe you know, the, the, um, the people talk about the 80s, and that was certainly before my time in politics, but, but I'm, I'm an optimist, and I see us coming together. I see us, I see us staying as one party and delivering on a next general election. You've said there's no deselections. There have been four or five Labour MPs who've had confidence votes against them. Um, John Ryan went last night. You couldn't get a more moderate MP. One who took a, a, a seat from the Conservatives. I remember canvassing against her. She's deeply popular with her constituents. And because she doesn't fit the mould, the, your party is getting rid of her. Uh, uh, Eric, I'd, I'd beg to differ on that. And the reason I'd beg to differ is that the motion that is passed in the CLP does not have any formal standing within the party. Members have absolute rights. We are, we are in a democracy to express their opinions, whether that's good, bad or indifferent about their MPs, that does not mean deselection. I, I think it's really it's unfair to suggest that means deselection because it Polly, doesn't... your thought on that? Well, I think it would have been... I mean, Jeremy Corbyn did so well in the 2017 election that that would have been the point for him to try and really reach out and embrace the whole of the party and try not to govern just within a small group, a very tight-knit group of people of his own cast of mind. I mean, parties do need to be broad churches to win. I think Labour can win. I think Labour is very likely to win the next election. But nevertheless, they'd have a much better chance if only he would embrace the full breadth of the party and bring people back in from all wings. Um, it would be hugely more successful. I think for one reason, there's a good reason why the right shouldn't fear him, the right of the Labour Party, in that when you look at the Labour Party's last manifesto, what was there in there that was so terrifying? It was a, a, it was a very retail manifesto. It was a very popular, and it's quite populist manifesto. Okay. Um, Charlie Teal. <laughs> You asked the question. Can I put a question back to you? Would you like it if there, if there was a future for the centre ground in your terms? Um, yes, I would. It, it feels as if um, British politics is increasingly polarised and yet um, Parliament has to govern for all of us. And so if a new or existing parties can move towards the centre, I think that benefits us all. Let me ask our large audience here with a show of hands. Who would like there to be some centre grouping? We've heard how difficult it may be. Who would like there to be something that they could vote for of the Tony Blair, not Tony Blair, but the Tony Blair type, as he's outlined it? Who, would you, hands up. Who thinks it's a bad idea? Well, in this self-selecting audience, there's a very significant majority in favour of there being some centre grouping. You'll have thoughts about that, doubtless. I'll tell you one thing. We've been there before. People said that before, but when it came to going into the ballot box, they went back and voted out of fear for their one tribe or the other. So they think in theory, but when it comes to it, I bet you wouldn't actually vote for it. Thank you. Um, You will have thoughts about that. Any answers, therefore, may well be for you. Anita Anand, 03700-100444, will be on the line. You can email any.answers at bbc.co.uk. Tweet using hashtag 
BBCAQ, and you can follow us, note this because it's a new one, follow us at BBC Politics, where a very large number of people come. Um, we will go, thank you, Charlie Teal, to our next question. Stuart Smith, do you think this country should have anything to do with Russia? Uh, the context of that is clearly uh, and obviously the Salisbury poisonings. The Defence Secretary, Gavin Williams, Williamson, made it clear that um, he didn't really think that was a great idea. Go away and shut up, he said, at the policy thinking, think tank, policy exchange think tank in relation to uh, Putin. Stuart Jackson. I think we need to be very unsentimental about Russia uh, and what it is because it's a kleptocracy, it's a gangster rogue state and it has its tentacles across the world and what we saw in Salisbury is an appalling example of brazen violence and the brazenness of uh, GRU operatives coming to the UK on uh, false passports travelling about as if they were on a carefree day trip for the sole purpose of murdering people who we had offered protection to is quite shocking and therefore uh, I think we should treat Russia uh, with the disdain it deserves but that isn't enough we need to uh, to upgrade our sanctions regime and I was very pleased to learn that the United States Senate and House of Representatives are looking at not just questionable individuals and companies, but also the professional services that support them, such as accountants and lawyers, to go after them. Because that's where you will hurt Putin, in the pocket. And I do not think that London, which is the number one financial centre in the world, can any longer be uh, the laundrette of dirty money from Russia, from the Middle East and other places. So we need to take the toughest action. But I would say the final thing, I'm inordinately proud too of our security services and how they've solved this as quickly as they have been able to because they truly are the best in the world. In, in, terms, of dealing, in terms of dealing with Russia, from your perspective, what did you make of um, the Defence Secretary's public comment, go away and shut up? Well, I think he's got his own is that, particular... Is that what the Defence Secretary says? He, he's got his own particular style. Uh, I think uh, other uh, senior politicians perhaps wouldn't have said that. But I think he was making the point that um, for too long, uh, countries across the world have been far too willing to indulge Putin and the, the Russians. Uh, and now we really do need to get tough because we, we are not prepared to uh, tolerate their bullying in Georgia, in the Ukraine, in the Baltics. And they must be under no doubt that the world will take the toughest possible action in whatever way possible. Nasha? Um, can I first start by um, saying that, you know, my thoughts are certainly with the families that have been affected by Salisbury, the people of Salisbury, and wish um, Sergi and uh, them a good a speedy recovery. What I'd also like to say is... Uh, before I continue, is that I agree with the comments about our services, and I would like to commend our security services and our police forces and the people of Salisbury and the, and the public services and how they've dealt with it. I also agree that we should be putting sanctions and reasonable sanctions on Russia, and what they've done is absolutely unacceptable on our soil. Um, that, that is for uh, this government to make sure that we, 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 do, we have reasonable measures against Russia. Absolutely. It cannot be that we have people coming into our country and killing people on our soil who we have offered protection to. Absolutely not. 
Holly Toynbee. What, uh, what we need beyond anything else is unity in the West. We need a, you know, a united front and agreed uh, policies towards Russia right across Europe and America uh, and, and other traditional allies. And any breaking in that is really dangerous. I mean, NATO is vital. Who knows what Trump really plans for NATO? Europe, absolutely vital, but look what we're doing to undermine that. Our alliances matter more than anything when we're under this kind of threat, and it's a very <coughs> peculiar threat because it's secretive, it's hidden. It's a funny kind of warfare where you have a very bellicose Putin uh, who then denies he's actually fighting the war at all. So it must be quite puzzling for his own people that he can't strut about saying, I'm winning the cyber war, I'm winning the destroying Western elections war, when he's busy denying it. Um, so I don't quite know where it goes next. We're very worried, of course, about what Trump's relationship really is with Russia, and we shall soon find out. Do you, do you share the Prime Minister's view, which is broadly held, I think, by others, that Putin is directly responsible, because there are those who argue that we can't possibly be certain of that in a state as ramshackle and complex, albeit with the very re repressive uh, uh, um, security services, that it could be just settling scores, it could be those, and they don't bother to let the people up top know because it's kind of, they don't want to know. Well, in that case, he could very easily say so and say, I'm outraged, I'm going to chase these people down, we've got their faces, we know who they are, we've got the evidence, instead of which he just denies it. Should this country have anything to do with Russia, Eric Pickles? Well, the, uh, the GRU, the, uh, the military intelligence, they're a real deal. They're the people that thought the KGB were just a little bit too soft. And the question you asked about whether or not Putin's involved... I mean, the GIU does have uh, an agreement whereby it can assassinate people abroad. But we do know from what we've read in the papers that Mr. Putin has taken a personal interest uh, uh, in this. I was really startled, Jonathan, by the amount of detail that the Prime Minister gave. You know, you usually get some kind of hedging about when they talk about this, but she was quite sure these people were uh, from the GRU. That tells us all kinds of things. That tells us that we've probably known the identity of these people for a long time, uh, that we've pr probably been waiting to see if they will travel abroad. I think we can assume now that they won't travel abroad ever again, or they'll turn up as members of the GMA, or they'll end up dead. <clears throat> and I think there are things that we can do to expose uh, the thuggish nature of the GRU. But Stuart mentioned, and I, I think, you, you, I'm sure I'm right, Stuart, you weren't saying as an insult that this was a kleptocracy, i.e. it was made up of a bunch of thieves. I did the anti-corruption brief for two years, and while we were there we had uh, uh, undeclared uh, wealth orders and beneficial ownership orders, which basically was to try and find who owned what uh, in property and to find people with a lot of money with no obvious reasons. And I have to say, I came to the conclusion that we weren't actually dealing with a proper state. It was almost like the mob had taken up a, over a large federation. And I think one of the most effective ways is start to gradually squeeze on these. And I think over the next couple of years, because these things take an enormous amount of time, we will start to see that squeezing. There, there, there was a, has been a lot of comment that over the last 10 years or so, a huge, and I think you were alluding to it, a huge amount of, of dirty money from Russia came into this country. Are you saying that the government, 
was doing everything possible but couldn't actually identify where that money was in legal terms strongly enough to secure its uh, removal from the system. I did, I did this brief for two years uh, and I was uh, heavily briefed on a number of cases, some of which have only just started. And so that's three years from now. These are deeply complicated uh, cases. And the number one place to launder dirty money uh, is, uh, is London, because once it comes out of London, it is absolutely clean. And we did a lot of work. We've now got a new international centre. Our cooperation with our allies, America and France and Canada uh, and uh, Australia, uh, is, is, is very solid. But it requires an awful lot of difficult work to do this. But for too long, London has been a soft touch. We go to our next question, which is from Steve Cogan. Given Michelle Barnier's comment today that he is strongly opposed to the Chequers Brexit plan, who actually is in favour of it? Left and right politically, Remainers and Brexiteers, Conservatives at odds with each other, Labour um, um, likewise. Now, Shah, who is in favour of it? Labour's position is really clear. We have had a referendum and we will honour that referendum. Uh, the question really for me and the concern really for me is that how we get to the deal that we need. And right now we have a government which is literally in civil war, which cannot agree between its own ministers what uh, checkers is out of the window now. We've, we've got a problem and we, need, we really need to get the best deal. Labour has promised the, 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 uh, absolute clearly that we will protect jobs we will protect our industries, we will protect our manufacturing. You know, this week I've spoken to two businesses, manufacturing businesses, in, this con- in Yorkshire, because I'm a Yorkshire MP, and both of them have t- said to me really clearly that we have uncertainty, we cannot get the deals that we need, we cannot fix the prices that we need, we cannot do any of that. And that is what the issue is, is we, we, we are suffocating businesses. Businesses can only thrive in certainty. And the second thing I'd add to all of this, is there's, there's a certainty element, but what really, really worried me this week was our Prime Minister saying, it's not the end of the world. Well, I'll, let me tell the Prime Minister this. It is nearly enough, really, really bad for those people whose mortgages it affects. It's really bad for people whose income it affects. It's really bad for the businesses, for the small businesses, let alone the, you know, we've just had this week the government going back on the tax, uh, uh, the NI contributions for the self-employed. We've had failure after failure after failure, and that's not even touching on austerity. We'll just park that one for one side. When you say, sorry, you've outlined the, the, the position... Does that mean there are no circumstances in which you could, a Labour Party, in your view, will accept, vote for any plan that may emerge from the proposals on the table as a result of checkers? What what we have seen and what we are seeing right now would indicate that we are going for a cliff end, no Brexit, no deal. And in that circumstance, it has to come back to... Any deal is better than no deal. And we have to go back to... The, the drawing board, go back to Parliament and make a decision of what Parliament will do next. And what are the, what at that point are the, are the, are the options? The it, options? It goes back to Parliament and Parliament says we don't accept a no deal. Every, Keir Starmer has been really clear. We have all the options are on the table at that stage, but we must get to that position. We are six weeks away 
from the, the decision. And what we have, I'll tell, let me play, make clear what we do have. We have a cabinet that's in disarray. We've got the, the Tory party into in civil war. We've got job losses. We've got all of these things hang, hanging over us. We've got none of that. What we do, what we, what we, what we do have is nothing on the table, no certainty for businesses, no certainty for our, commu- for our country, and no certainty of where this, where this government is going with the Brexit negotiations. Okay, Stuart Jackson. Well, we know uh, you're strongly against it, like your, like your, I was going to say your good mucker, but former, someone you agree with, Boris Johnson. Um, Chequers is rather like Monty Python's Black Knight. I mean, it's, it's uh, mortally wounded, but not yet dead. Uh, certainly no one's told number 10. Um, the tragedy is that we have a coherent, comprehensive alternative, which is a Canada Plus free trade agreement, continuing collaboration with the agencies in the European Union, good close working on defence and security and intelligence, participation in things like Erasmus, Horizon 2020. That was the policy outlined by the Prime Minister from Lancaster House in January 2017 all the way through to the 5th of July this year, when you had a constitutional coup. Because there were nine iterations of the white paper that we were working towards, working towards a free trade agreement. And after all, why wouldn't you support a free trade agreement? When who was What was the... the Donald cost, Tusk who? and Michel Barnier themselves have indicated that that's what the EU would accept. Who, who, who uh, made the constitutional coup? Well, I think The Prime Minister was... Taking a coup against herself? Well, I'm not sure it's a, a great way to, to run an epoch-making policy which will affect our country and commerce and business for 40 years to give, for instance, the Foreign Secretary 120 pages of the agenda of, of checkers at 2 o'clock on the day before the meeting. I mean, it, to my mind, it wasn't properly done. There wasn't an iterative process of proper debate over many months. It was bounced on the cabinet, and so what? Sorry, without going back over that again, just just briefly, as I asked Nasha, what then happens when it goes back to Parliament? Well, if if if, if the deal is dead in the water, effectively, in your view, what happens? Well, it's dead in the water for this reason that it's Brino, it's it's Brexit in name only, because. If you look at the common rule book, it's the EU rule book, which will tie us into regulatory alignment for, for many, many years. The facilitated customs arrangement is so far out of the EU's understanding and legal principles that it cannot be accepted. So what happens? Well, what happens is that, that we think, those of us of, of my viewpoint, is that we want to give the Prime Minister space between no deal which won't be total no deal, it would be a bare bones no deal, it wouldn't be the end of the world, but it's, I accept, suboptimal, and checkers. And that deal is the Canada Plus Agreement. And I think it's perfectly possible for us to solve the Northern Ireland border issue in order to do that. And I think it would unite the Conservative Party, and above all, I think it would strengthen the hand of the Prime Minister. Eric Pickles. Well, I'm sure she'd be very grateful for that. Um, I mean, uh, talking to David Davis, I was always clear that the Prime Minister was ultimately in charge of, of the decision. And you know, I respect what you've, um, what you've done, Stuart, absolutely. But I just wish colleagues could learn to count. L- Lyndon Johnson said the most important thing in politics is learning to count. 
I don't think there's a majority, if I'm absolutely honest, uh, for checkers. I don't think there's a majority for what uh, Niles is suggesting. I don't think there is a majority for uh, Canada plus, plus, plus. Somebody is going to have to compromise. I mean, it's all right being absolutely pure about what we want to do, but you've got to be able to get it through the House of Commons. House of Lords, where I sit, doesn't matter a, a jot about this. It's the Commons that matter. Now, at least we've got something on the table, and I understand we're about to get another set of, of proposals. But I believe that what the Prime Minister should do is to seek to get broad agreement from you, Stuart, broad agreement from uh, people at the other wing of our party. I think she should reach out to the Labour Party you, and to you, Liberal been, Democrats. You've been, chairman of, you've been chairman of a party, of your party. Do you believe that... Boris Johnson, Jacob Rees-Mogg, Ian Duncan Smith, you can list them very, very These easily, people are, are in really any well. way likely to sign up for what the Prime Minister wants, given what they've said? The short answer to that is, is no, and uh, I'm not even vaguely suggesting that. What I am suggesting is we've all got to kind of understand that no one is going to get the deal that all of us want. In politics, you have to compromise. And we, at we some stage, yeah, but Eric, we're, no, we've we're compromised about. on 39 billion pounds. We've compromised on an implementation period. We've compromised on an unqualified commitment to future collaboration on defence and security. And and th there is a mandate: 17.4 million people want to take back control of their borders, their laws, and their money. And they've asked Parliament to to give effect to that decision, the biggest mandate in British electoral history. At a boy, Stuart, that's, a, that's fantastic. Now we just need to go a little bit further. Uh, because uh, as this is really important stuff. We've got to be able to ensure to have smooth trade. My natural inclination is free trade right across the world with, with no restrictions. That's why I'm a Conservative. But we've got to be able to get it through. Uh, parliament. So I think we've got to stop sort of standing on our different different parts of our political parties and the Labour Party is all over the place on this as well and say so for the national interest we're going to have to compromise. Polly Toynbee. But what we're seeing here is the ruling party absolutely riven down the middle, in fact, into various different factions, but so mortally split, and they've been riven over this issue. It, is, it has removed all of the last Tory prime ministers and leaders of the party. It is destroying that party, and it is now infecting and destroying the country, this virus, this obsession with getting out of Europe. I mean, we had... The most extraordinary thing happened last week. It was only just discovered yesterday. Operation Yellowhammer. Uh, this was something actually that the Brexiteers really wanted to make sure that we had proper provision for no deal. Uh, for two days last week, Whitehall's Civil Contingency Unit met together to look at uh, no deal contingencies. We are talking here... You have to pinch yourself... We're talking here about you know, empty food shelves, medicines uh, having to be stockpiled. I mean, there hasn't been a crash, there hasn't been a war, there hasn't been a natural disaster. This is something we have been inflicting on ourselves and created for ourselves an entirely meaningless crisis in the middle of an appalling time of austerity when there is real suffering in this country. And the Chancellor of the Exchequer is talking about having to set aside 
80 billion over the next few years to pay for this and he's warning his cabinet ministers I always like the language that we'll have departments will have to do a lot of internal reprioritization we know that means cuts and uh, we would have to departments will have to uh, refocus government priorities that means more cuts in order to pay play for this complete piece of lunacy and Polly I you're going to have to compromise Polly Polly, you are simply you are simply going to have to compromise in the same way that the rest of us are. Our democracy operates by loser's consent. I voted the same way as you did in the referendum, but I respect what the people decided. What and do you make, Eric, given, given what people decided last time? The, there is a, a lot of people wanting what, is, what they call a people's vote, a second uh, referendum. The latest polling yeah. suggests by John Curtis, who's highly regarded by everyone... Um, suggests that something like 59% of the voters would now be in favour of staying in rather than uh, falling off the cliff, in inverted commas, against 41-42% that would still favour remain. Do you think, just in political terms, that that pressure could well mount to the point where there is such a referendum? It's displacement activity. Wake up. There isn't a chance of getting that through the Commons. There isn't the majority and there isn't the time to get a referendum bill. So all we do when we talk about a new referendum is just saying, actually, Brexit is just too hard. Let's talk about something else. Time is ticking, just like the clock over there. I think that uh, we might have be to the compromise. I, 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 God knows where we're going. The thing is such chaos. Anything could happen. It could be total disaster. We might just get by by the skin of our teeth. But when you look at the zombie, what the, uh, what the European negotiators have called the zombie checkers paper, the dead parrot, to, to, to use your uh, uh, analogy, uh, it doesn't look as if any possible yeah, version that anybody produces can command a majority in the Commons. And if that happens, that might be the point at which you say, the only thing we can do is to go back and ask the people again. But, it, but it's, a, I think it's, it's... Very briefly, Stuart, it's a, it's a fallacy. It's a fallacy, Polly. You're never going to... If you vote Remain last time or if you voted Remain again, you're not voting for the status quo. Europe is becoming more centralised, it's becoming okay. a more political project. And that, that is the fact. We must... We must to say we, true is right and We, must, we right. must leave that there. We will return to it. Uh, Anita Arnon will doubtless want to hear what you think. 03 700 100 444. And I'll just give you two the follow us at, at BBC Politics. Uh, our next question from Caroline Tomes. Caroline. By 2020, councils will have faced a reduction of 60 pence for every pound. With services now stripped to the bone, is it time to admit austerity is causing more harm than good? The figure suggests that from... Between, between 2010, at present progress, £16 billion will be cut from council budgets by 2020 which is that reduction of 66, uh, of, 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 of 60, pound, 60 pence for every pound. Um, Nasha. Thank you for that question. Um, for me, the measure of a country is the measure of its future. If you can look at the future of that country and see, is it a prosperous country, is it not? And as a mother of three children, as a single parent, I can tell you that actually, when I, when I talk to my constituents, that is not the case. They are not optimistic about the future. The councils are not optimistic about the future. 
as the sixth largest economy in the whole world. It is a shame, an absolute shame and disgrace that we have children living in poverty. By 2022, that will mean 5.2 million. To me, just that sentence alone sums up austerity. And that's not even going to, be, to, to where we're at with council workers. The emails I've received just this week from my constituents who are, who are having to cut services, having to cut social care services, social care budgets, uh, bin collections going to every two weeks, children going to school, schools having to give meals earlier because them children, those children have not had their breakfast, food banks r- increasing, the use of food banks increasing, the rollout of universal credit you know where do we stop the lack of nurses the lack of doctors you know it's just it's a fiasco it's a shame it's a crying shame for our country austerity has absolutely failed Uh, eric pickles you of course were communities secretary and you were regarded in by many people as as seeking to return power to local councils if these figures are correct, that's not worth a great deal in itself if there's no money and you're running um, towards bankruptcy because you don't have enough funds from central government. It becomes a formal f- freedom to make decisions. Oh, it was, um, uh, some, I made a number of decisions that reduced the level of, of council uh, support. I, I, I make no apology for that. The country was in a real mess, our, our level of debt, and we simply couldn't afford. But it wasn't a straightforward, just cutting exercise. I spent an enormous time with council leaders looking about the level that could be uh, uh, taken out and to readjust it. I set up a fairly sophisticated system that protected those that were most in need. Places like Leeds and Bradford uh, uh, had less taken out than places like Sussex and, uh, uh, and, the, and the better off areas. But we did monitor extremely carefully the sums of money. Um, and I did have a safety valve which says if you want to, uh, increase the amount of funding, then you can increase your council tax, providing you get the consent of your local population. But few councils actually took that to the local where population. Where we are now, uh, 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 Lord Pickles, where we are now, we have the National Audit Office looking at these figures, as it's obliged to do, and saying that the model, as it presently is, based on dwindling reserves, is not financially sustainable in the medium term. It, is it time to admit that austerity I mean, now is causing more harm than good? I mean, in the long term, we do need to seriously look at the way local authorities are funding. They are wholly funded uh, by the business rate, and the business rate uh, is based on an economic model that this country has changed over, over the years, and that was one of the pressures uh, that are upon it. Now, I actually have a... I've always had a very firm view is that... Uh, Uh, with power comes responsibility and that you should seek to get your mandate from the local population. Uh, So my uh, my very firm view is that we should see more resources uh, transferred from the centre to local government. We started that in in various city deals and I would like to see it expanded. 
Very briefly, you wanted to burst back in, uh, Sean, and I'm going to go to Polytone. So we're happy with the population, but we won't take the cuts, uh, we won't take the taxes from the big corporates where we can actually use that money and make it work where it needs to, on the people on the ground, at their dining tables, where it makes an impact. That's where this government is going wrong. Polytone, What we're seeing now is the collapse of local government. It's a complete and utter disaster. And Eric Pickles was in charge, and he was ordered to devolve the axe. And I heard people at the Tory party conference, they came in in 2010, saying, that's the cutting plan. We will devolve the axe. Local governments will do our cutting for us. They have taken the brute force of having to do it. And it's often been very good Labour councils, like this one in Leeds, very well run, who have had to balance the books in the most agonising way, closing libraries, closing leisure centres, and they're now really up against it with a huge rise in demand from old pe- more old people, from many more children being taken into care, 90 more a day, and no more money. And it was Eric Pickles himself who goaded the local councils, who told them they were badly run. And what's happened now, it's the Tory councils, the Tories that are bankrupt, collapsed, badly run, Northamptonshire, followed by Somerset, followed by uh, East Sussex. They are collapsing. His Tory badly run councils. Labour councils having to take it on the chin. Nor is it true that you protected the vulnerable. Yes, it's, the, it's the, true. The city that was most cut, the cities were most we've cut, was a, Liverpool. We've got a personal the family place, interest in this, the place you, in terms fewest, of what happened. I'm going to talk about yeah. that. The place with fewest uh, cuts was Dorset, most poor Liverpool. And as for the Audit Commission, which he's referring to, which my partner was one of the many people who worked for it, the Audit Commission was put there by Margaret Thatcher to oversee good running of councils. If the Audit Commission had been there now, they would have captured uh, what was going on with the bad management of these Tory county councils. What's more, they would have reported week after week on the disaster that's unfolding in all of these councils and the suffering that's going on. And it would have been very embarrassing, so it was much better for him to... Eric, hold on. I will come back to you. I want to. I will come back to Eric Pickles, but Stuart Jackson, you'll go first. Well, it's certainly true that we haven't done as much as we should have done under both parties to decentralise funding and to encourage local authorities to raise funds in innovative ways, as they do in all over the world. For instance, issuing bonds for capital expenditure. It's also been a devilishly difficult issue of the formula funding that the centre imposes on local authorities because you're looking at uh, rurality, age, poverty, deprivation and things like that. There are good councils that are conservative councils and there are some very good Labour councils and I accept that. But just coming back to what Naz says, it's simply not the case that things are worse in terms of austerity. Just two figures, just two figures... I'm very proud, as a Conservative Party member, that we've reduced the number of children in workless households, lowest, I think, now for 30 years. We have record employment figures. And the number one reason for people getting out of poverty uh, is to be in work. And that's what a Conservative government has delivered. And at the end of the day, Labour governments consistently, since the 1920s, they always leave office with higher unemployment and always leave office having bankrupted the country. And that's a fact. So I want to, I want to, Stuart, this is something you desperately want to say. Can I I I say one more thing, Jonathan? Let's 
that, that's the party political stuff, and I, I felt it was appropriate to balance it up. There's, a, there's an issue that's above party politics, which we absolutely need to get right, that we messed up at the general election, I accept that, to my own cost, and that's social care. We have to deal with the demographic time bomb of social care. We must have a cross-party commission to see if we can solve this problem because it's nothing to do with party politics, but it will destroy the NHS and local government unless we get it right. I'm going to squeeze in. We could go on, but you'll forgive me. We must, I want to squeeze in once more. one more. Steve Wood. Robert Salby. Following the sad announcement of the death of the actor Burt Reynolds, who famously turned down the roles of James Bond and Han Solo in Star Wars... What role or opportunity do the panel most regret having let slip through their fingers? Robert, I'm sorry I gave you, I gave you someone else's name, but forgive me. Um, what would be your most wasted moment? Uh, Nashar. <laughs> Earlier on I said, uh, you know, to, to be a gymnast, because I've always wanted to be a gymnastic, uh, do gymnastics, but uh, actually... Uh, having thought about it, what I'd really have, have missed the opportunity is to take out the Tory party. That's the opportunity uh, we've missed this last general election. And I'd really like that back. I won a general election. Stuart Jackson. Well, I think I'd like to work in the White House at the moment because, because they need staff on a regular basis. Uh, and it's very exciting, and for the journalists amongst us, it must be about the most exciting era possible. And but would you be a, a powerful supporter of the president, unequivocal? I think I'd try and tell him where he was going wrong. The very, very but best. I wouldn't last well, we, very you, long You'd be basis, out pretty quick. Yeah. Um, Eric Pickles. Well, I said uh, in the warm-up that I wanted to play Michael Culley, but I've changed my mind. I think I would like to have gone into the church. I think I would like to have been a member of the cloth because after exchanging with Polly, I'm feeling particularly spiritual this evening. <laughs> would you have been a successful man of the cloth, do you think? I think I would have been uh, absolutely uh, terrific. You, you've got the faith there, have you, to back you up? I've got the faith and I've got the patience. And I've got a lot of love. And can you turn around diminishing congregations? Had you well, been there? Well, I was chairman of the Tory party, and we lost a few members, and so perhaps not. <laughs> and we were a broad church. If it, if, 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 <laughs> we were a, yes, that's right. That's a bit like, we were a broad church. <laughs> Albeit with declining membership. Um, Polly, Polly Toynbee. Oh, the great opportunity that has just slipped through my fingers is the Daily Mail has just appointed a new editor, and I did so want that job. More than any other job in journalism, the Daily Mail does more damage to this country. I doubt if we'd have had Brexit without Dacre's Daily Mail. I would have loved the chance to turn it into a Guardian-type paper. <laughs> any answers? Any answers? 03 700 100 444. And the line's open at 12.30. And you can email any.answers at bbc.co.uk. We will be back next week. Uh, we're going to be in Worthing, and we will have a panel of four of whom I know two at the moment. Bernard Jenkin, the Conservative MP, and Wera Hobhouse, who is the Liberal Democrat MP and holds the seat, I believe, of Bath. Join us there from Leedsminster, a magnificent building which you must visit when you next come to this city. Thank you to our panel. Thank you to our audience here. Goodbye. I hope you enjoyed any questions this week. To find out more about the programme or how you can get us to come to your area, then go to the BBC Radio 4 website and search for any questions. This is the BBC.